Welcome to Worship This Week. I'm John Strickland. One of my pet peeves is seeing an expression marking on a piece of music that tells me to play or sing worshipfully. Every time I see that, I just think, what what does that even mean? What am I supposed to do specifically to play or sing the music worshipfully as opposed to not worshipfully? Uh, and the problem comes because worship can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. Uh, for a lot of people, it just simply means music. We say worship and we specifically mean worship music or the music that we sing at church or worship music that we hear on the radio. Uh, for some, it means church. We come to worship, we come to church. We use those terms interchangeably. But I think too few people really take the time to consider what worship means biblically. It's not an easy question. There are various words in Hebrew and Greek that translate in our English Bibles to mean worship. So we're going to begin today a journey toward defining worship. We'll examine the language that we use to understand worship as well as many definitions others have written and compare and contrast different approaches and hopefully by the end, we'll be able to wrap our heads around it well enough so if someone asks us, what is worship, we'll be able to give a clear and informed answer. So to begin, I just want to look at the English word worship and start with the simple dictionary definition. Uh, dictionaries are descriptive, meaning they try to look at how words are used and understand and then record in the dictionary the definition that best describes what people mean when they use that word. So for a starting point, let's see how the word worship is used in our language and what we mean when we say that word. And then we can move from there to deconstruct if necessary and then reconstruct our understanding of worship uh, as a biblical and theological concept. First, here's how the Oxford English Dictionary defines worship. It says the etymology is from worth plus ship, a combination of those two words meaning having the status of worth or recognized high status and value. As a noun, it means the condition in a person of deserving or being held in esteem or repute, honor, distinction, renown, good name, credit. The condition in a person of holding a prominent place or rank, dignity, importance, high standing or degree can be a title of honor used in addressing or speaking of a person of note, can be respect or honor shown to a person or thing, reverence or veneration paid to a being or power regarded as supernatural or divine, the action or practice of displaying this by appropriate acts, rites, and ceremonies. And then as a verb, it uh, can mean to honor or revere as a supernatural being or power or as a holy thing, to regard or approach with veneration, to adore with appropriate acts, rites, or ceremonies, or to honor, to regard with honor or respect. And then if we look at the American Webster Dictionary, as a noun, it says the act or feeling of adoration or homage the paying of religious reverence as in prayer, praise, etc., the act or feeling of deference, respect, or honor toward virtue, power, or the like, excessive or ardent admiration, also the object of such love or admiration, 
a title of honor in addressing purses of station. And as a verb, Webster says, worship means to pay an act of worship to, venerate, adore, to treat with intense or exaggerated admiration or affection, to honor, or to perform acts or have sentiments of worship. So several things jump out to me that I want to emphasize about those definitions. First, both of these definitions include meanings that can be religious or non-religious. So we see in English usage, the word worship simply means giving honor or reverence to something else outside of yourself. And while religious significance is a large part of the meaning of the word, it has significant use outside of a Christian or even religious sense. And that's an interesting aspect because as Christians, we use the word worship a lot in a very specific biblical and Christian context. But it's important to notice that in the English language, the word worship actually has significant meaning even outside of a religious context. And so we'll bring that into play. Second, both of these definitions include meanings that make worship both a noun and a verb. I read all of those definitions, and each dictionary has worship as a noun or a verb. So worship can mean a condition, uh, a title of a person, uh, or it could be an event. Worship can also be an attitude or an action. We can worship. Uh, we can worship with our minds and our affections, as in an abstract sense. Or we can worship physically and literally by doing physical things. We can go to worship as an event or a ceremony. We can give worship or demonstrate our worship by doing certain actions. Again, this idea of worship as a noun and a verb will again come into significance the further we go into our exploration here. Finally, both of these definitions include meanings that can make the object of worship a human being, a deity, or even a thing or an idea. So worship as an English word can be directed toward people, to God or small g gods, or to things and ideas. Anything that we adore, deify, exalt, honor, idolize, revere, or praise can be an object of our worship. All of these aspects about how we use the word worship will come into play as we continue to delve into this question, what is worship? Looking forward to our worship on Sunday, December 20th. We will begin our call to worship in 1 Thessalonians 5, which is also our fourth Advent reading, as this is the fourth Sunday in Advent. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-11. And verse 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And so our call to worship is simply this. Are you coming to worship discouraged or doubting the goodness of God? Remember what Christ did for you and put on the breastplate of faith 
Are you coming bitter or angry? Remember what Christ has done and put on the breastplate of love. And are you coming in despair or in fear? Remember what Christ has done and put on the helmet of the hope of your salvation. As we begin our singing, we'll sing a more recent Christmas hymn, Joy Has Dawned Upon the World by Keith Getty and Stuart Townend. And I want to draw your attention to notice the third verse, which explains the significance of the gifts of the wise men. This makes this hymn unique among a lot of the Christmas hymns that we sing, because we don't sing much about the wise men, and even the few songs that mention them don't do what this hymn does and explain the prophecy of the gifts of the wise men, the significance of what they mean. So the hymn says this, Gifts of men from distant lands prophesy the story. Gold, a king is born today. Incense, God is with us. Myrrh, his death will make a way. And by his blood, he'll win us. What a concise, clear, rich theology that connects the birth of Christ to the gospel and his ultimate purpose, which was to die and to be a sacrifice for the sins of man. We'll continue to sing, O come all ye faithful, which was a Latin hymn that's ascribed to John Francis Wade and translated by Frederick Oakley, uh, and the music also by John Francis Wade. And on this hymn, I want to bring your attention to the second verse, because we will sing an often omitted verse, which very richly proclaims the doctrine of the Incarnation and the deity of Christ. God of God, light of light eternal, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created. Words taken directly from ancient confession of faith. And we will sing that rich theology together. Our closing hymn will be Hark the Herald Angels Sing by Charles Wesley and altered by George Whitfield, both champions and renowned preachers of the 18th century, and music by Felix Mendelssohn. And I want to bring out the third verse of this carol, which alludes to Malachi chapter 4 and the title of the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, of Righteousness. Malachi chapter 4 says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi is interesting because we can connect much of the prophecy of Malachi to the first advent and the second advent 
which is what we do as believers during the season of Advent and Christmas. We think about the first Advent as we hope and look forward to the second Advent of Christ. Um, But it's such a great, masterful work of poetry to include that allusion to Malachi chapter 4 in a hymn about the birth of Christ, because indeed Christ is the Son of Righteousness, bringing light and life, risen with healing in His wings, uh, come to both put an end to sin and death and to vindicate and save those who fear him. And we'll close our service with our benediction. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Tabernacle family, I look forward to worshiping with you all on Sunday. I hope everyone has a blessed week and a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. Thanks for listening.